1: Hello and welcome to Front Office Features. I am Rob Crane. This is our first podcast as a member of the Blue Wire family of podcasts and we cannot be more excited. Uh, we kick off our Blue Wire tenure right as we have a Super Bowl champion and manager of business analytics, Armand uh of the Kansas City Chiefs. Chris and Armon discuss the role that data plays in our industry and Armin shares his journey on how he created an entirely new department with the Kansas city chiefs. But before we get to the interview, our blue wire, our new blue wire colleague, I should say, Greg Olson has a few words for us. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new
0: podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFL NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat.
1: Hello and welcome to Front Office Features, where this week's guest, Super Bowl champion, manager of business analytics, Arman Alawalia. Welcome.
0: Thanks, Chris. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I actually like the, uh, thanks for like the, the intro there. It almost feels like I'm at a sporting event right now. Um, with the Super Bowl champ, I should start putting that in front of my name every time I introduce myself. Hello, Super Bowl champ Armand Alavoya. Got a great think, ring to it.
1: I think you should change your LinkedIn name with that. You know, <laughs> people like put MBA and stuff. I know you have one of those too. So maybe su- Super Bowl champ. Not too many people get to say that. Like, so that's that is worth more than everything else you've ever done, right? That's probably we'll get we'll get to that. But that's probably one of the coolest moments of your life. I've got to it, assume.
0: Yeah, it has been. I mean, i I'm, I'm actually so brand a bit of trivia. I've actually been to two Super Bowls in my lifetime very fortunate to go to the first one and obviously the last one also extremely fortunate but i've been to both of the san francisco 49ers super bowl losses in their history so for any opposing team that's playing the niners i am available for for travel <laughs> as, as as the bad luck charm for them so
1: or for hire right if someone exactly, exactly yes so you so you were at the game where the lights
0: went out that is correct yeah my dad had managed to Come through some tickets through a charity auction here in in, in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, and he offered to, to, to take me with him. And so it's been uh, it, it, it was a great experience as a as a youth in college to kind of go there and experience what it is. And actually, that was my first uh, NFL actual game ever. So what your first yeah. ever NFL game was a Super Bowl? Yes. So we had been to the Pro Bowl, which I guess I don't really count that as it. No,
1: that doesn't count. That doesn't count. Yeah.
0: So that was actually my first game, surprisingly. And, you know, I have this weird thing where I've never been to a away game for the Chiefs in America. I went to the London game on my own just because my my mom's family is from England. And so I had a chance to go there. But I've never been to an away game stadium for an NFL game here uh, in my career. So very unusual. Random.
1: We could spend the whole podcast just talking we about could. this. This, this is this is you're, you're like my partner Rob, who just you've already fascinated me and made my jaw drop <laughs> because I don't even know where to go from there. That's that's a crazy story. It is. But, it is. It's, it's one of those
0: things where you know I've because being in in Winnipeg, you know, my family, my dad's from India, my mom's from England. We would always travel to those destinations, and neither of them are real like hardcore sports fans, and so. I was never really that ambitious to go travel in my youth, more or less. But, you know, I went away to college and I went away for my post-grad and I live in a new country now. I live in the States in Kansas City. But it was one of those things where I just we never really had the opportunity or knew where to go or whatever the what whatever it was. But, um, yeah, so I'd, I'd never actually been to an NFL game until that point, which, you know, involved two teams, not the Pro Bowl, which is similar, but a little bit different. So, yeah, it's one of those things where it's just a unique um, fact that it's just kind of uh, one of those, those those unusual skills that I always kind of tell people. Or unusual
1: fact. Sorry. So I got, so one last Super Bowl question. Yeah. Are you guys, have you been sized and are you getting the rings? Yes. So because of the current climate, things have
0: been a little bit different. My understanding, and you should know this being, you know, a World Series camp, um, that they traditionally come into the office and then they size you and all that. But because that's not possible, and we haven't been in the office since March, um, they are—they sent us an online kind of form uh, where you could do that. So one of my friends actually bought a ring sizer pack from Amazon, and so he left it in his mailbox with a cleaning wipe. I went over, sized my <laughs> ring, uh, wiped it down, put it back in the mailbox. Because you know, I've never been so nervous in my life to make sure I get the right size, and I'm married too, and I have a ring. I just don't know my ring size, so
1: um <laughs> so and it's once, also a different hand so you, it'll be a different hand so it's actually a, it's always a different size because exactly. it's probably your right hand so the, the, your right hand if you're if you're a righty is typically bigger because you use it more exactly yeah so this, is, not, fun talk. this is all fun talk right ring sizes really everyone's ex, is, is exasperated everyone gets into the business but this is the reason you get into sports you yes. want a super bowl you have a yes. super bowl ring coming to you it's the coolest the best part of our industry, like I have, I have two World Series rings, and I have two mm-hmm. kids, so I can't have any more kids. I tell everybody, that's it, two kids, <laughs> two rings. Everyone will be happy. When you get that ring, everything you've done up to that point is all worth it.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that that moment will be extremely exciting. I mean, as you know, as a kid growing up in Canada, which is you know a very hockey-based kind of culture and sports and whatnot, and basketball is kind of coming up, and in that sense as well, you know. I never thought that I would work for a professional franchise in the States, one – Two, I never thought that I would work for a team that would ever make it to the Super Bowl, let alone win the Super Bowl and be a part of that team in my lifetime. I mean, you know, growing up, the Denver Broncos were my team, right? And that was just kind of who I followed at the right age. You know, they were kind of the right time. And Terrell Davis, John Elway, Ed McCaffrey, all that stuff. But, you know, even the city that I'm from, Winnipeg, the Blue Bombers had never won a Grey Cup. The Winnipeg Jets had never won one. So like, this was kind of like a big deal for me on, on multiple levels. I was I was lucky enough to be able to bring my mom and her fiance down and I said, you know what, for everything that they've done for me, you know, I I bought my mom's ticket and her um, game ticket, flight ticket and game ticket because I said, you know what, my mom's done everything for me and since I've been a Chiefs fan and become part of the organization, she has become an incredible support system and, you know, she's been basically become the biggest fan for someone that is not a sports fan in any way, shape, or form. Um, so that was a really cool moment to basically share it with my family and friends. But and, and maybe you'll you'll appreciate this, but when we were at the game, the game itself was irrelevant to me. Before it started, the pregame, everything was just seeing all of my coworkers and staff, just like really enjoying the moment, knowing that there have been people who've been there for 30 years and had never even sniffed this kind of opportunity. So that was the cool moment for me as much as the game was incredible itself, you know, back and forth, up and down turns and whatnot. Um, so overall it was just an incredible experience.
1: Uh, I I agree with you. Like the whole, the camaraderie that is built through going through it with a front office to win a championship, like the time with like in LA a couple of years ago, which now seems like 15 years ago, by the way, mm-hmm. um, like those moments that you spent with your coworkers and your family and going to the games, you'll never be able to replace that. And it, it's like I said it solidifies all the sacrifices we've all made in this business to get to where we are when you win that championship it's it's something that never will be taken away from you it's no different than someone winning on the field everyone says well you didn't play but guess what you were just as much as part of it to make that happen like Patrick Mahomes isn't getting that paycheck that he just got unless you're doing your job and the corporate sales are doing their job and ticket sales are doing that job like we're all part of that so it's really really cool so first congratulations enjoy it I can't wait to see the size of it because Super Bowl rings are ungodly oversized. <laughs> but it's really, really cool. That's awesome. So, great transition. Your current role, manager of business analytics. What does that mean? Because I I know what it means, but what are, for folks out there who don't? What do you do? Yeah, so it's kind
0: of interesting because for those that have kind of, or if you've, if anyone's checked out my LinkedIn profile, more or less, you know, it's got a really unusual transition from. You know, I started out following the San Diego State Sports MBA program, um, having to do an internship, and I got one at the Kansas City Chiefs on the sweet servicing side. And the reason I got that opportunity was because I had worked for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers before going to San Diego State on the food and beverage side. I got that food and beverage job because my family had restaurants here in Winnipeg, and so I had some culinary kind of service hospitality experience. So when I got to the Chiefs, and you know, just doing sweet servicing, it was just, I'll take the first thing that I get, and then I got hired on like five weeks in because there was an opportunity. Someone had kind of left, and they said, hey, we've had five weeks to see your work. We really like what you've done. Why don't you come on and join the full team? And I was like, great. You mean I'm going to get paid? Like, absolutely. So um, so that was kind of a cool opportunity. But in that time, I'd kind of shown that I had a bunch of other things. So to kind of shorten the answer here, because I'm rambling quite a bit, is that basically, My role touches a number of different things. So because I started off on the suite servicing um, path and then kind of moved to partnership activation, then moving to kind of strategy and helping our sales team um, build some junior sales guys, and then now in the analytics. So for those that understand how a corporate partnership department is usually structured, there is an activation side and a sales side. So I sit in the middle and report directly to our vice president of partnerships and premium, who's Kim Hoff, It's awesome. So essentially, I provide support to both the activation team and the partnership field. And so that means overseeing our CRM system. That means kind of doing our financial reporting and being the liaison to the finance department, overseeing our measurement strategy, dealing with all of our vendors from third-party vendors like YouGov or GumGum Sports to basically dealing with ad hoc projects that, you know, harps were not a thing until recently. So uh, it's kind of this hogwash role that I basically said, anything to do with data kind of runs through me and my department. And then I liaison with different departments as well to kind of from the, from, from some of the bigger stuff. I'm, I'm not a data scientist. I'm very, very clear.
1: So that's fascinating because I'd say the biggest evolution of our business over the past 10 to 15 years has been the utilization of data, right? Mm-hmm. The, the way we have to support and justify what everything is worth nowadays, because marketing has completely changed. It kind it's it, I think I started on it because it kind of started with baseball in, in in Moneyball, where there was mm-hmm. it was almost ahead of the curve with data using player selection and how the value of a player was, and it eventually trickled down into the front offices when it comes to analyzing ticket sales and the best the best days, the best times, ratings, all that stuff. Yep. It used to be kind of like you stuck your hand in the wind and be like, "It's worth this." Someone would give you XY dollars for a sign on the green monster, and you call it a day. Mm-hmm. Those days are so long gone. Because marketing folks have become so much more data driven and they have to justify every single dollar spent. Google and Facebook has changed the way people advertise, right? You can't, mm-hmm. you can't compete with that. So we have to be very creative in how we're able to, to showcase what things are worth while saying, hey, the value of using the Chiefs logo in, in market from a marketing standpoint is worth this much lift to your brand. Before it was just like, hey, you get the logo, have fun, see you later, right? Like, so I, I have a question. You were in suite services. Mm-hmm. How did you create this position? Because I think this is, this is a great piece of advice for folks because a lot of people sure. are like always, hey, I have a role yeah. at an organization. It might not be what I want to do, but I know exactly what I want to do. And it's that. How did you go about and what was your process internally with the Chiefs to create this position to take the chance to let you go and run with it? Yeah. And so for
0: me, when I came in there, I had to do a thesis, which is kind of this final project. Um, for the San Diego State Sports MBA pro- uh, program. And so I basically went to the vice president at the time, who's now the EVP at, at the Chiefs, and I said, this is the project I'm doing. I could do something of that, you that know, is, is, is of interest of me, but here's what I'm thinking. What is your feedback? How can I help you by building something that one, could be kind of a, a, a portable resume for me to show my ability to do to do work if it doesn't work out here? But two, how can I actually help the company and the club you know with some insight and so because of my business management background and you know love of numbers just in general right i put together a report of the suite department and i basically said here's all the things here's the industry analysis here's what other teams are charging um and it was basically 90 pages and when i finished i gave it to the vice president at the time and i said here's this report if you don't mind reading it that would be great however it's very extensive." So why don't you just look at these couple of sections? This is where the real meat of it is that it might be relevant for you. He said, great, I'm going away this weekend. I'll take a look at it. So he came back the next weekend and he basically said, he's like, wow. He's like, I didn't realize you could do all these things. I didn't have a lot yeah. of exposure to him. Right. Other than the meetings and a few other kind of uh, small interactions in, in, in the workplace. But he's like, wow. He's like, I read the whole thing. And I was like, well, why did you do that? But he was like, because I found it very interesting. I didn't know a lot of the information and, You know, it was really, really helpful. And so from that point on, he kind of kept me in the back of the mind. There was another person in the finance department that was helping our corporate partnerships department. So pre what I mentioned earlier, our current structure, we used to be very suites and partnership very separate. Now we're kind of combined to more scale service. But this financial analyst left and took a job um, somewhere else. And he basically came to me, the VP said, hey, this person's leaving, you're going to take over the reporting aspect for the partnership department. And it wasn't like a question. It was like, okay, great. Like, let me jump in. And so before he left, I kind of learned it. And then I kind of became the go-to factor for it. And so one of the things that like I recommend to people is don't be afraid to put up your hand and take on projects outside of your comfort zone, because this certainly was, this was a massive Excel document with all the inventory and everything that basically had been kind of hodgepodge together and it wasn't completely finished. So I was like, okay, this is a little bit intimidating. I'm in sweet servicing and sweet kind of sales. This is very, very different. And so I took this on and it was another great way for me to show my value. And then from that, I started to notice other things. I started to notice that, you know, I used to read the, sorry, I used to read the business journal and say, Hey, this is a cool prospect. We should look at them based on this report that they're saying They had a big windfall. They're going to move new jobs here. We should add them to our list or look at a competitor. And so from there, it just slowly started to be this kind of continually adding things to the point where I wasn't actually really doing suite servicing anymore. It was, that was more of my game day function that I was kind of doing other things and running the special events from a a suite perspective and kind of managing that. And so it kind of morphed into, you know, this new role that I basically created for myself in a way.
1: That's awesome. So what was some of the key things that you uncovered while doing that report and research that you that was surprising to you and surprising probably to that, that VP? Yeah, I, I think that it was just a little
0: bit more of my ability to just look at a problem and kind of take a step back and provide a kind of a congruent analysis of, look, you know, our suite pricing is ranking X here. And again, I'm, I'm using examples that I don't exactly remember. It. it was being six years ago, but You know, it was here's our suite pricing. Here's what other teams are doing. And this is, you know, factoring in these are the new stadiums. These are the older ones. Here's our peer group. This is roughly what sizing they are. Per ticket cost is roughly here. So, you know, based on the market size and this, I think our pricing should be here. Here's my strategy for some of the harder to move inventory. And at the time, we had a lot of suites that were unsold just naturally with a building of 125 suites, which relative to other NFL teams isn't as much but still a lot relative. And so I by kind of provided some analysis and reporting but more or less it just gave him an idea of I could do these types of problems and I could think about things, which is essentially part of what my role is here's a problem there is no exact answer. you know how do you or how are you going to try and solve this And that's sometimes when I'm hiring for interns, I'll ask that question you know that doesn't have an answer. it's you know, how many windows are in Seattle, right? There's no real answer. But for me, it's how do you think through the problem a little bit?
1: You're asking them the Google You're asking them how the Google asks them to hire people. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really it's true. It's like you just want to see how they walk through that process to get to mm-hmm. the answer and figuring it out. Yeah, no, it's I mean, listen, the, your role and yours, your department is did not exist when I started in the business 17 years ago. It just it just yep. didn't, right? And it's, it's been amazing how quickly things have evolved to where without people like you to be able to provide this information, this research, and these, these solutions to a lot of the problems that we face in the corporate sales world, nothing would get done anymore. I mean, if, you, if you're dealing with any type of new business tech company or who's a B2B client who wants to figure out what the value is of partnering with the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, we we need you to be able to help us get to that point like i'm i love data i'm a huge data nerd i love consuming it i love reading it i'm not the person that's going to put it together but i can take it and make an informed decision based on that and that's where like i've tried to tell young folks is you don't have to be the data scientist but you have to be able to take the data that you have at your disposal and use it wisely to formulate a, a solution to a problem and, or, or a retort to why someone says, well, why don't, why would I do something with you? Here's why the data shows it. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's way smarter people than me who from MIT and who can do all that stuff and can, can, can formulate all of it. But to be able to understand it, read it and, and be able to speak intelligently to it is a, is a skill set you have to have. And that's across all departments now in the whole entire industry. Would you like ticket sales is literally yeah. just a, a data dump right? It's like, which seat, which price, what time of day, when it goes up, like people have changed pricing structures now, whether exactly. So it's all been formulated to this big amount, massive amount of data, which is great. But if you don't know what the hell to do with it, it's worthless. Exactly. I, I think you made a ton of great points there. And you made something earlier on
0: that I really, really resonate with and kind of tell this story is that you know the old school sales Let's buy a sign and throw it up on the on the anyway yeah. you know on the green monster was very as simple as two people had a relationship. They went to a steak dinner. They talked about it. They laughed. They got the deal done. That doesn't exist anymore. And don't get me wrong, there are parts of the relationship that are super crucial. And yes, there may need to be a closing dinner or something like that, or drinks or coffee or whatever. I'm not saying that that does not exist. What I am saying is that. Behind that first, behind that closing relationship dinner, is an entire team that people who at Fortune 500 companies who are very good at what they do have massive amounts of teams, probably the size of a front office of a of a of a, a sports franchise, crunching numbers, trying to understand exactly where their demo is. Right? I mean. There's a reason why a brand sponsors certain things or they put an advertisement on a certain platform because their data has said that looks like what our customers are and where they are, where they live, where they shop, and we want to be in the top of their mind at that point. And so if you don't have the data to back it up, it's going to be very hard because In a time where budgets are being cut and every dollar is being spent so specifically, everyone has to be taking their game up to the next level. And that really excites me because it's a challenge, right? It's a, here's the data. Here's what we're seeing. Here's how we think we can integrate your brand is a totally different conversation than we saw you doing something. We can copy it. Do you want to do it? Like, that's just not a conversation anymore. And I think those types of level of relationships, again, hopefully that business is going to improve if they think that that's a great way to do it. But again, I just think that if you bring data to the conversation, you can know if it's working or not. And we're not afraid to basically say, if something's not working, how do we fix it? Because if the data is saying it, you know, let's just not hope and pray that we hope that the sign's going to get picked up on national television and everything will be good. Like That doesn't seem like a great strategy to a successful, true partnership
1: no and the key word you said at the very end there is partnership and that's Mm -hmm. the i think the situation we're all facing right now with covid and 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 working with our partners to come up with solutions with a world where right now baseball has no fans in the stands Mm -hmm. nfl remains to be seen looking less less likely there's going to be a massive amounts of people in the building if you can't come up with solutions using the data that's going to tell them like why this is valuable you have nothing to go back to the table with for these people, right? Other than like, hey, we just want you to give us money because we like you, like that's that doesn't work that way. This is, just, mm-hmm. we, you have to be able to provide the, the backup information to say, look, you typically have this sign in this building on the concourse, there's gonna be no one on the concourse. Well, what am I gonna give you in exchange for that to showcase that there's clear value here? And that's gonna rely very heavily on your department, I would assume, because you're the one putting together those, those answers.
0: Yeah, and and one of the things that we're kind of tackling right now is the strategy around our tarps, right? And that is something that doesn't necessarily fall in my job description, but for the most point, it's, we have this opportunity, what are the parameters, how are we going to try to figure out what it's worth? And then, you know, having those conversations with a brand of, look, this is going away, we have this opportunity. We think it can be a transfer of here to here, and then having that conversation. But without that true partnership or relationship, um, it makes it very, very difficult to have that conversation, even with the data, right? Because I think it's, I think it's two pronged, right? And you know, one of the things that you mentioned earlier, and I, I want to hit on this point before I forget, is that you know, you said that yes, you understand data, you love it, but it's also important that the, for the people that are the data scientists. One thing I've been able to really do well is speak their language, right? The ability to go in and understand that when I'm asking for stuff from the data warehouse, or I'm asking for a report to put into Tableau, I have an understanding of already what I'm kind of looking for. From that point, it is a little bit easier of a conversation, right? I think sometimes salespeople are afraid of speaking to the data people because you know, they don't speak the same language, but the ability to translate has made me very successful in the ability to kind of bring both those sides together and really leverage the data.
1: That's, that's fascinating. Cause like, you're, you're right. Cause there's a lot of old school salespeople out there who are just like, eh, mm-hmm. it, it's a sign. they got to buy it. That's what they get tickets to sign. I, like to your point, steak dinners. That's how we close the deal. Yeah, sure. what, what opened my eyes to the most amount of data I've ever seen in my life. And it was like <laughs> almost data analysis by paralysis when I worked at DraftKings and getting, getting a peek behind the curtain Mm. on the brand side and how much data was consumed. I mean, our, our largest department outside of the computer engineers, and I think I've said this before was the analytics department, right? They looked at every single thing that happened by the minute down to the second of when an ad was run or a partnership happened and tracked to understand what was working and what wasn't. So if the brand is doing that, when they come to you as the Kansas city chiefs, and say, hey, we did X, Y, and Z with you, we can see it's not working, you better on the other end of it be able to understand what the hell they're saying, and then two, come up with that solution to figure out how to fix the problem.
0: Exactly, yeah, and I think that's a, a, a huge point that you make that not everything is gonna work, right? You can brainstorm an incredible idea, and you can even have the research to back it up, but until you try it, you still might not know, and like you mentioned, these companies, have a whole team of people with the data that are saying this is working this isn't right you know they're tracking exactly what people are clicking on why they're clicking on it not they're doing all these tests and again it continues to add back to the story of how do we make it work for both sides right we have something that you know a company like DraftKings or you know another entity could make something that we're doing more valuable but on the same time we're also going to help their brand too and It's kind of merging those stories together with a little bit of the, we have content in IP that makes your brand more appealing, and you have some of the data that can actually help us understand better. And sometimes those are the best partnerships where they work so succinctly, and the data is really at the forefront of it.
1: Hey, guys. Fall, right around the corner. You know what that means. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. So going back, we'll transition a little bit here. So we we Mm -hmm. always talk about how small this world is, and this is going to be it even smaller. So (laughs) San Diego State University. Correct. I was on a call yesterday with uh, Scott Minto and Amy Wesson, who one runs San Diego State University sports MBA program and one's an alumni. And we were discussing uh, different ways that we can partner up and work together. You went and got your MBA from San Diego State University, correct?
0: That is correct, yeah. I, I went there in 2014, and I'm part of the class of 2015.
1: So and then you also were able to tell me who our Moldova listener is, because apparently another San Diego State University alum.
0: So that's actually not true. He oh. is a Real Madrid graduate uh, of the Real Madrid Sports MBA. So Scott oh. actually does do go over to to to, um, to Real Madrid and teach for about a week or two Uh, a a class over there every year. And so what's also interesting is that there's another uh, Real Madrid MBA graduate who I met because – he knew Scott, I knew Scott, and he was speaking at a conference I was speaking at in Montreal last November. And we had both gone to the same university, undergrad, but just at different times. And then we ended up meeting in Miami for the Super Bowl week. He was there. And, and he works for La Liga. So it's a very small, tight-knit world. And even the diff- even, you know, these two MBA programs that are literally a world apart um still have some connections there as well.
1: It's crazy. Like it's amazing how small our industry is that we just connected those dots. And we, and it's, it's, look, it's cliche as as hell, but it's really true. And we try to have it like, this is a really hard business to get into because of how Mm -hmm. small it really is. And everybody seems to know somebody through somebody with that being said, what do you look for? You said you hire interns, you have people like, what are you looking for in terms of traits of folks to come work for you in a role that would report into you?
0: Yeah. So I think for me, I'm less concerned about the university or the college that they went to, but sometimes I think it's sometimes the abstract thinkers is what kind of really shows me. So for me, I'm very kind of a driven, hardworking person. And so I try to find someone that's like motivated. It's it's kind of in terms of a a trait that I, I try to look for because I'm really motivated and I love helping people. And sometimes I've had to learn that Sometimes people don't want help and you can't help them. So I think looking for someone that's motivated is really important. Again, do you have strong business acumen? Because my role isn't a traditional data science role, but I do expect you to understand a little bit about how businesses work. And you know, I can teach them some of that, but I think a lot of it is understanding the business acumen. Do you have an understanding of data and how to manipulate it either in Excel or Maybe you're more advanced and you know R or SQL or Python or Tableau even in terms of a visualization software. So those are some of the things that I look for. Um, But for me, again, and this is hard to really test for in an interview, but which is why sometimes I ask the Google type questions, is because I want to understand how you look at an abstract problem. I think, and I mentioned that like a lot of what I do is looking at things that don't have a solution. I'm expected to find one or provide some sort of a recommendation. And if someone who comes in and just looks at it and goes, "There's no answer," um, that's probably not somebody I'm I'm interested in working with, just due to the nature of the the, the complex problems that I get handed on. You know, almost every day that that, that something's different every day.
1: So I, I read, I read that you've, some of the advice you've given to folks, like you just mentioned, this is a competitive industry to get into. Mm-hmm. One, one of the things you think there was three things was go the extra mile. Cause you just mentioned you're a hard worker, yep. challenge the status quo and then make good impressions by, by using the network that you can facilitate by again, networking. Yeah. What, what's some of the ways people can go the extra mile specifically prior to all this or normal times and also right now? Yeah. So I think going the extra mile isn't, as
0: complicated as it sounds, right? I mean, a lot of times people don't go anywhere, right? So even if you go half a mile, I think sometimes that can show kind of a, a big step. So for me, I think going the extra mile is, you know, when we see, when you see that someone signs something, right? It's the little things of, hey, Chris, I saw you guys sign this big deal. I want to say congratulations. To me, that's something so simple, but speaks volume. Or when you get a LinkedIn happy birthday reminder, Shoot that person a note and tell them happy birthday, right? I think that's going above and beyond. But if you want to add even extra, it's, hey, I saw this company sponsor with this. Do you guys have them as a sponsor? I feel like you have similar you know, um, demographics or this would be a good fit for you, seeing as how you di- I don't see a partner in that space, right? Um, or I saw another entity in the grocery space do this. I know you have a big grocery deal. Would this be of interest or something? Because sometimes people have really good ideas. And I think sometimes, you know, people are scared to kind of share those ideas when something as simple as what I just mentioned is actually very powerful and can even spur bigger in ideas of well, we can't do that, but oh wow, maybe we could do this and something like that is 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 really impactful.
1: I freaking love that. Like the 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 message of saying I saw so and so do that, just making you aware, I didn't know if you saw that, mm-hmm. is adding value, right? we've always tell people like when you're younger and you're, you're reaching out and you're always asking for people's time, you're always asking for something, you're asking for a job, you're asking for an informational interview. What do you bring to the table? Right. Mm-hmm. And if you can find a way to separate yourself in that regard by saying something and adding value to the organization or that person, you've already gone above and beyond what the, probably the 99% of the majority are doing. And that type of advice is paramount because you're right. Like, Rob and I always say the words, do something, right? Just do right. something, like get off your butt. The, the barrier to entry to doing something nowadays is so low. You can start a blog. You can create a video of yourself. You can write uh, uh, analysis white papers on on sponsorship deals that have been done. You can do analytics, right? You don't have mm-hmm. to have a job to start doing it. You did that without even having the job. Yep. So yeah, I, I just try and instill on all the young people, you can have as much networking as you want to do but if you're actually not doing something beyond that mm-hmm. the network is going to be meaningless cuz you don't have anything to offer
0: yeah and and i would say there's a couple of things that kind of stand out to me that are kind of like you know timing is everything right i think depend you know if you see something and you respond a month later it might have lost its shine if you respond within the first couple of days of something being announced or whatever timing is important for me I think, you know, I listen to like a lot of podcasts and I read a lot of audiobooks. and you mentioned the do something. I think about Gary Vaynerchuk. I just read his book, audiobook, Crushing It, right? And while I think a little bit of it is a little bit, you know, just Gary being Gary, I think there are some good inherent lessons of like, get up, do something, right? Who's to say that you can't become an expert on sponsorship or data analytics just by putting out some information and some content? Um, So I think timing is everything. For me, it was getting the right job. But I also think you make your own luck from some of the timing by working hard and being at the right time at the right place and doing it right. I mean, for me, anytime I go to a new city, I go on LinkedIn and I search that city name that I'm going to. My wife hates this because I try to set up meetings when we go for travel and, you know, that's a wholly different conversation.
1: But yeah, now you're in trouble. Now you're
0: exactly. in trouble. You're I have to be very careful about that, how I set that up. So What I'll do is I'll search for it. And because I've got LinkedIn Sales Navigator, I can look up and specifically look for the universities that I went to school. So Dalhousie is my undergrad in Canada. That is really relevant in Canada. But San Diego State, there might be a San Diego State alum if I'm traveling to San Francisco. So maybe I'll shoot them a note and just try to connect with them, right? You never know what that person is, because I'm fascinated by people's stories and like their background. And so for me, they don't even have to be in the sports industry for me to reach out to them to, 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 to create that kind of connection there. So I'll do that and then I'll look up and I'll try to figure out, okay, who do I know? Who do I not know? And who would I be interested in meeting? And then I kind of create my my schedule around that. And then sooner than later, you've got so many people that you can reach out to and your network is so big. So that's one of the things that I, I love to do when I go to a new city.
1: That's, that's so smart. And I mean, it's, we kind of use that as salespeople use that trick a lot, right? Hey, I'm going to be in San Francisco. And we're usually reaching out to a brand saying, Mm -hmm. do you have a chance to have coffee? Cause I'm already going to be in town because traveling back and forth to San Francisco from Boston makes no sense. But as you try and get as much accomplished as you can while you're out there. But even from a networking perspective, I never even thought of it that way for folks who are younger should absolutely be doing that. Right? Like if you're going someplace kill two birds with one stone you get to have a face-to-face connection with somebody is so different than having a phone call it yeah just is. I,
0: mean, I mean i there have been times when i've been in san francisco for a conference and i went to boston to actually meet a brand right we said we're going to come to boston and meet you on your turf like and then when i went with my with my with, with my coworker, we basically said okay we're going for one meeting let's try and set five or six more uh, even if it's with other teams to chat about best practices Or, you know, and basically being Canadian, I always use that as a great way that, oh, they don't have to go to the university I did. If they're living in the States, that's some sort of connection. Right. And I think about it as. Networking is all about trying to find the connection with somebody that you have. You may have to dig and you may have to research a little bit, but almost everyone has some sort of a connection, whether it be an interest, a favorite team, a past job, a college. I mean, I'll look up people from the University of Manitoba and University of Winnipeg in different cities, even though I didn't go there, but I'm from Winnipeg where they're located. So then therefore there's some inherent connection that makes that email that's so cold a little bit warmer to the point where the the success of response is much much higher
1: so that's this is this is a perfect transition because you've mentioned a couple times canada mm-hmm. and one of the things that we always talk about for young folks is the one thing you can't change about our industry is geography and the challenges mm-hmm. that come along with it yeah but getting outside of your comfort zone is absolutely paramount if you have any desire or success that you're gonna have any success because you're not going to just typically stay where you're from in the city that you're you grew up in it, it it happens but it's it's very rare so let's talk about that you you had to make a decision to leave your country to mm-hmm. come down here to follow your dream and also go to San Diego State on top of that walk me through that process how how hard was it what what was the pros the cons how did you ultimately settle be like you know what this is what I want to do and I'm going to go for it
0: yeah i think i think it kind of started from an early age when I was looking at colleges, right? I think a lot of people from Winnipeg stay in the province of Manitoba. There's, it's very affordable here for university. It's close, it's comfortable. And I always wanted to be outside that mold, right? My parents are from England and India. And so I had a little bit of that entrepreneurial kind of wanting to venture out kind of, uh, you know, passion. And so when I went to the University of Dalhousie in Halifax, that was kind of the first kind of taste of me living alone. But then when I came back in Winnipeg, I knew that I wanted to go get my MBA. And I wasn't really that concerned with where the actual university was. And so with that opportunity, I said, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. And then when I had the opportunity to basically stay in Kansas City, that was a whole uh, another opportunity because my initial plan that I had made when I was at Dalhousie was that I wanted to work for the Women's World Cup because it was coming to Winnipeg and it was a global entity and FIFA was an incredible opportunity because they had a speaker come in who worked for the on the bid process. And so I asked her to go for coffee and I was like, I want to do what you do. This is incredible. And so my whole plan this whole time was to come back. But when I applied to the Kansas City Chiefs and got the internship, and you know at the time it wasn't a paid internship, I basically said, you know, I'm going to try to stick it out in the States as long as I can, because that experience will benefit me either way, even if I do have to go back. But it all worked out. And, and the visa was, you know, was a was a difficult process. And that's a whole different podcast and a whole different story.
1: Oh, but, I can't even imagine. I can't yeah, even imagine. Yeah. So it, it, but U- it US government? Like, yeah, I don't even want to. We, even, we could be. We could spend days of a podcast on that i'm sure of course.
0: of course but in in general you know it was just the opportunity just seemed that great to me but when i was at san diego state we had a speaker come in his name is mike kitts who is an alum of the program and works for the golden state warriors he's the uh, i think senior vice president of corporate partnerships and i've got a number of san diego state alums who are in that partnership department and a close friend of mine and he basically put on the whiteboard and said you know if you want to work in sports you have to look at a few things right what is your salary going to be? Not all jobs in sports pay exorbitant salaries at the bottom, entry level, right? Yeah,
1: n- almost none of them do.
0: <laughs> exactly, right? The second thing is, where do you want to live? The third thing is, what is your job? And the fourth thing is balance, right? In terms of a family social life. And if you want one of those four things to be the most important, you have to be willing to sacrifice or take A liberty or take a a discount on some of the other three. If you want to make $70,000, you may not work in sports. You may have to live in the middle of Alaska to go do this job and take whatever it is. If you only want one type of job, you have to be willing to move anywhere and take any salary and potentially, uh, you know, discount on the family balance time that you might be having. So that point has still resonated with me, even to this day of, you know, if there is a new opportunity, where is it? What job are we moving? Those are all things that like new people coming into the industry have to be okay with. Because if you live in a certain city, and there's only one sports team, and you want to do only one job, well, that might be really, really difficult. And I don't think a lot of people think through that as much as they should.
1: I, I Listen, uh, This is this is literally why the podcast started, because I think there's just so much misconceptions and misinformation out there about what we do and what the Mm -hmm. realities are right you Mm -hmm. see the glitz and the glamour and you see Patrick Mahomes sign a 500 million dollar deal and you're like oh everybody must make a ton of money in our business it couldn't be the furthest thing from the truth when you first start out and the sacrifices that they make on the field and have to move around is no different than us right there's so many teams and like if you stayed in Winnipeg you had to work for the Jets or the CFL team, right? The Blue Bombers, yes.
0: or even the minor league team, the, the Winnipeg Gold Eyes. they play double-A independent. So you
1: have three teams in the, all of Winnipeg. <laughs> yeah. Boston has four or five, like right? There's right. If, if all of a sudden I wanna change jobs, there's only four of my places I can go work. The yep. likelihood of me staying here is low. And that's your whole career. It doesn't matter when you first start out, it's when you move up and you become a vice president. There's typically only four or five vice presidents in a city in that role. They don't, they have to leave for that position even to be open. So this is the challenge of being in our business and being able to check off those four boxes, like you just said, is nearly impossible. Mm -hmm. It it happens. Like I'm I'm never going to say it's not, it's, it doesn't happen. Of course. Most people have to follow a path that's going to move them around the country, take away some family time, not make a lot of money when you start or maybe even for a while and have to come up with some really hard decisions i mean you left your country like the people who tell me when they are like i'm only willing to work in new york i'm like well armand left canada and (laughs) went to kansas city like you're in kansas city like you're not like you you didn't move to new york you didn't move to la you didn't move to chicago you're in kansas city Mm -hmm. that wouldn't be on people's number one list of places to live but guess what you're getting a super bowl ring you're with a franchise right now that is set up for success for years and all the decisions and sacrifices you made along the way have put you in this position to have a successful career and pretty much at some point, write your own ticket. You created your own position. You took a, like, I want to ask you this question. You had an internship for three months. You turned into a full-time role. How did you do that? Well, I think, I think a lot of it is timing,
0: right? I I want to say it was my incredible work ethic and, you know, I just wowed them all, but I do think a little bit was timing and luck, right? I had no idea that of the two positions who interviewed me, the two suite service coordinators, one of them was a, was on a temporary and she decided to leave after the season. So when I came in though, and this is another thing that an alumnus had told me, and I, I still think this is one of the greatest things. I did not approach my internship as an intern. I approached my internship as a consultant and I am an expensive consultant who costs a lot an hour, even though I'm being paid zero, sure. but that mentality of showing up early staying late, getting to know the people that will have an impact on your career and your decisions and whether you stay at the company, you know, building relationships with them to the point where I would stop by and kind of do my rounds in the morning and I would, you know, build connections. There was one guy who happened to be a big baseball and basketball fan. And so I would talk about the games before or things that were going on. There was one guy who played basketball at University of Western Illinois and being a Canadian who scouted basketball in Canada. I would go and talk to him about the different players and there was a Canadian on the team. And it's all about bridging those connections and building those where they felt comfortable in the five weeks that I had the internship to say, we like the work that you've done. We think we want to bring you on full time because that's, that's that's not a small decision, right? As you know, there's only really so many positions and they could have let me ride out for the entire five months and then offered it to me. Whereas they were like, look, we really like what you're doing, the work, the timing, it all works out. We'd like to bring you on board. And it was an incredible honor. And I, I'm still grateful. For it.
1: That's such a better way to approach an internship rather than just show up and check a box. Like mm-hmm. you got a full-time gig because you went into it with a different mentality of I'm going to use this time to get myself a full-time gig or make an impression. And it doesn't always work out from a time perspective with your own organization. Of but course. Typically, it, it could help where that person's then going to recommend you to somebody else. And there's so many interns that just come and go, who you never even hear from. Like they don't even talk to you, right? They just come in, they put their head down and they go home. Because I think you said something earlier, people are afraid to speak up when they're young. And Mm -hmm. I'd say most organizations in sports, and we're pretty, And I've, I've seen enough now, I've talked to enough people, we're very different than the corporate world, right? It's a very different atmosphere. It's a very different culture. It's very rarely like a hierarchical position where everyone is just, Titles matter, it's pretty, I mean, I work at Fenway. You're pretty free to, no matter what level you are, to speak your mind and Mm -hmm. speak it freely without any repercussions. So if I would tell anybody when they're younger going into a situation as an internship, one, you should be networking internally with that whole entire organization, right? Get to know everybody, make, have coffee, use your time there while you're there to meet those people. But also your advice to approach it as a consultant versus just an intern I've never heard that before. That's a, that's This podcast alone should help somebody the next time they go into that internship and what they're applying for have a different mentality when they go into the office day in, day in and day out. I mean, I, I think about it as, you know, interns have a fresh perspective. They
0: have a lot of value because they're coming from something they've learned in college or maybe another internship before. They have great experiences that a lot of times is a good perspective to hear from almost the outside, right? Whereas we get so close sometimes where we have all these blinders on and we're so focused about what we're working about. Sometimes it's hard to think about what about that perspective, right? And, you know, you mentioned going door-to-door and networking internally. I did that for the first couple of weeks. I basically stopped by a couple of people's offices and said, hey, can I grab 15 minutes with you? I'd like to hear a little bit about your backstory. I, you know, I've done some research and I, and I think you're very, very interesting. I'd like to learn a little bit about more what you do. And when I got my full-time role, I'd already built, I already had those relationships so that when I actually needed something or within a bind, I had this relationship to lean on for them to help or they understood how my work ethic was. And so that was also really important. But yeah, I think a lot of interns come in with just the mentality of just, this is a check the box, this is for school credit or whatever. Like this is an incredible opportunity. Don't lose sight of that. And I've, I've been fortunate enough to be around for four or five different in- intern classes and you remember the really, really good ones. Even after they're long gone because there wasn't an opportunity, we work hard to find them opportunities elsewhere because people do call, right? If I, if, if you know that you've got an intern that's really good and you can't hire him, and you know that there's a position I'm looking for, of course, you're going to recommend me as long as they're doing a good job, because the industry is so small, and it is hard to to get in. But once you're in, you're part of this, almost this, this, this massive network of people that all talk to each other. And so it can be a double edged sword sometimes, right? If you don't do a good job, sometimes that can hurt you. But I certainly remember the ones that were great, and still think of them fondly and still keep in touch.
1: No, yeah, I I couldn't agree more. It's not a check the box. It's a, it's an opportunity and take it as such and treat every day as an opportunity to make an impression on somebody in that organization. So, Armand, you've been very active on LinkedIn. And <laughs> it it's a lot of it's about your book reviews. Correct? So, what what's your recommendation for a young aspiring sports business professional? What book should they be reading to prepare them to be able to have an intelligent conversation when they sit down for that that interview? To be able to spit knowledge because Armand recommended this book. Yeah, I, I think for me, you know, I, it took me a while to.
0: I'm a really slow reader of actual books, which is why the audiobooks have been so great. And podcasts like this is how I consume a lot of my content. But a lot of it for me is reading the sports business journal, right? If you're a student, usually there's a discounted rate, or maybe you're. Your school has a subscription or something, but that's a really great one where a lot of the information comes through. I mean, I subscribe to, for example, front office sports uh, and sports techie, uh, where I get essentially a midday brief where I get all this information. So I'm always aware of what's going on because you can be inspired by a lot of different things, right? You know, what Chris is doing at at Fenway Sports might provide inspiration for something that we do in a different way and put our own spin on it. So I think there's a lot of stuff uh, that could be taken out of that. But in terms of books, I mean, there's a lot of different opportunities. I think um, one of the, some of the ones that I've really enjoyed um, was Think Like a Rocket Scientist by Ozan Veral. I've read that recently. Um, That was a really kind of innovative and creative way to think through, how to approach problems that are very, very complex. And so for me, that's a really good one. Another one that I really liked was Good to Great by Jim Collins, and if anyone is in business, like that's a must read. And I'm oh, so disappointed. I, had to I read
1: th- that I read that book like 15 years ago. I it's... know
0: the thing is I only read it two, three years ago, and I'm so disappointed. It took me that long to read it because it was so great that I, I felt like I've, I've I was missing so much before that. So I think there's there's lots of good there's lots of good books. Again, my LinkedIn, I post, I try to post once a week uh, on a book that I'm reading. The problem is some of the books I read. They're not that great, and they're kind of a little bit hard to review. So that's why every other week yeah. I, try to, I try to do a post because I like it, I like it to be more positive as a recommendation. Given that people do buy them,
1: <laughs> hey, hey, don't read this book as your review, right? For some, for some of them. What about <laughs> exactly. so you mentioned you mentioned a couple of the things you subscribe to? Uh, how much is Five Thirty Eight played a role in your in your life?
0: Oh man, I love Five Thirty Eight. Um, we it, it's been great. I mean, I don't read it as much as I used to, but it is, it's a great spot for just people um, who are very interested in on field. Um, That's where I think a little bit of it draws the line for me. I think Sloan, MIT Sloan has been a little bit more on field than actually sponsorship and kind of the business side of things. It's changing, which is great. But yeah, 538 has been great. A lot of the predictions and a lot of the the reviews and the way that they approach um, articles is, is fantastic. And then I think they've done such a great job there. And not only sports, I, I consume a lot of other content there too.
1: So one last question for you to wrap this mm-hmm. up, because I think a lot of us, our advice too is always focused on mentoring. And it seems you do a lot of mentoring and in a lot of your roles that you've been in has led to either a mentorship or having a staff under you. What are the, some mm-hmm. of the ways that you approach being a mentor and, and what, what do you get out of it from a personal perspective? Yeah, I, I, the ability to pass on information
0: that I have to someone else is it, it gives me a lot of joy. Um, I actually get a lot of benefit out of it, mainly because, you know, I was once on that side and that was a large part of my strategy when I was at San Diego State was that I basically sent emails tailored to almost every league, professional league in North America, basically with the intent of trying to get as many informational interviews, because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do when I got to San Diego State necessarily. I knew I wanted to work in sports, but I wasn't really specifically understanding where I could add the most value to it. And so that mentoring has always been great, knowing that there's been so many wonderful people on the other end of the line. I'm very fortunate to have um, a lot of great mentors. Mike Zavik at Redbird Capital has been awesome for me. Joe Smith, who's now at Truist Bank, was at Bank of America before, uh, and then Todd Fisher at GMR Marketing have been all able to provide a lot of great insight for me, and been really good to bounce off ideas. And so while they're you know they live in different cities, and you know I ask very little of them, they're always willing to. Pick up the phone, answer, talk about basketball, talk about anything that's going on in my life or their life. And I'm really grateful for that. So I think being a mentor has been always, has been something I've been really proud of and kind of able to help. Even if that help and someone takes and listens to this podcast and takes away one thing, it's a success for me. That's kind of how I see it. Because if I knew the information that I know now back then, I feel like I would be even further ahead in my career. And so I want to offer that opportunity to people, especially with COVID going on. Um, you know, I want to offer that opportunity to San Diego State alums who have gone through the sports NBA program. And I had a chance to speak to them a couple of weeks ago. And I did a panel for Gen KC yesterday, which is a local kind of um, youth board here in Kansas City through the chamber. So I love giving back because so many people have spared you know half an hour with me to listen and answer to my, my questions over the years. So I'm very grateful of that.
1: No, I love that. And I think that's everyone who does eventually break into this business should remember that as they move up the ladder, right? Send the elevator mm-hmm. back down because we all needed help along the way. And look, that'll never change. You've been in the business a while. I've been in the business a while, but there are still people I reach out to. I've been in the business 17 years. Everybody needs help, right? There's nobody out there that can do this on their own, whether it's to vent or bounce ideas off of, or use from a connection standpoint, That'll never change. And what the biggest heart, like we talked about this, the reason the podcast started was there's so much misinformation and so many misconceptions was to help people be better prepared when they first start their first job to be successful and not just get their foot in the door, as people like to say, right? Or take a ticket sales job because that's the easiest way. in, even though they have no desire to be in ticket sales. So look, if you do have an opportunity to get in this business and you are successful, giving back. That's what the power of sports to begin with. And that's why we all love working and doing what we do. It doesn't change on a personal level and helping people out too. It's just, that's what this business is about. And you'll, the people who survive and do well are those type of individuals who have that type of mentality and that type of personality. Absolutely. Couldn't have said better. Armand, how can people reach out to you, follow you, hear what you're doing? I mean, I'm fascinated because of the, like I said, I love data. So I, I following you now on LinkedIn and seeing what you post, love it. How can people find you? Yeah, I I I would say LinkedIn uh, is probably
0: the best way to find me. Um I, I post a little bit on Twitter, uh, so it's Armand underscore NPH, as that was my handle when I was working for uh for North Pole hoops in Canada. So um yeah, so that's kind of probably the best way to to, to reach me or follow me.
1: Thank you so much. This has been awesome. Like the amount of information that you've provided, the insight into the world on the data side and the analytics side. I think is invaluable because most people have no idea what really goes on. They see your title and they go, hmm, what's that? But to hear what you're doing every day to make sure that every department is successful because you're arming them with the information that we need and to let people know how important it is to be able to understand and decipher the the data that comes through is now going to be paramount for anybody who walks through a sports organization's door.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, Chris, I'm a huge fan of what you and Rob have done with this podcast, and honored to be uh to be a guest on this as uh as as it continues to grow and more downloads become uh, become a thing of the past and just continue to keep going up higher and higher and higher. I,
1: I from your from your mouth to God's ears, I can't wait to see the ring. I can't wait to see what it looks like. <laughs> you're gonna have to share some pictures. Absolutely. Uh, I'm sure you're absolutely slammed right now, getting ready for the season. Or whatever the season may look like in a couple of weeks. Training camp opens what next week or something like that. Um, so good luck. I know you guys have, will figure it out. You're smart people, and uh, hopefully you have a repeat championship because I, my team, the Giants, they're not winning this year. So if anyone has to win, I hope you get another. I hope you get another ring.
0: That would be pretty great to, to sum up 2020. <laughs>
1: that's yeah whoever wins a championship in 2020 has got to be like well it's a really weird feeling because it's been so terrible right <laughs> and, and then we're going to celebrate a championship on zoom so you know exactly. what let's pop the champagne on zoom
0: zoom zoom parade
1: would be very interesting oh jeez. well Armand thank you again stay safe and now we'll talk soon thank you Sports are coming back, which is good news for all you job seekers out there, but even better news for your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Baseball's back in action, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, BetOnline. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on. All available 24-7. And with the return of sports, BetOnline sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Hal Reynolds, and seven-time champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it will be like playing without fans in a series they're calling pandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your wagering experts.